VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Game Football Podcast from The Times. Today we take a look back at the midweek in the Champions League as Tottenham Hotspur top their group with a late win over Marseille. We'll talk about Chelsea, who were also group winners and what they might do at the weekend, taking on Arsenal in the Premier League. Liverpool ended with a victory, although they finished second in their group. They go to Spurs this weekend, a big game for both sides. But who's it more important for? We'll also be talking about Manchester City's new young star, how the Scottish teams got on in the Champions League and we'll talk a little bit about the championship to boot. This is the game. Hello and welcome to the game podcast. I am Hugh Wisencroft alongside Tom Allnut, Gregor Robertson and Ian Hawkey as we look back on the events of the Champions League in midweek. Let's start, of course, let's start with Tottenham who went through uh, into the last 16 as group winners. They scored in stoppage time to beat Marseille on a dramatic evening in France. Pierre-Emil Huybert with a 95th minute goal. They only needed a draw on the night. They got the victory, but it means they go through as group winners. Five out of the six times they've been in the Champions League, they have qualified for the knockout stages. But maybe, Tom, and you were at this game, of course, for the times, the performance wasn't too surprising either. They went behind. They had to come from behind to get the win, and it wasn't very comfortable. It hasn't been very comfortable for Tottenham for a while. What did you make of their performance? Yeah, I mean, nothing really has been been that comfortable really for Spurs this season. It, it feels like every victory they get is sort of like a last gasp win or a comeback or, or some kind of miraculous turnaround. Um, and that was very much the case again here. I mean, you know, it was very much a, a game of two halves, if you like. The first half, Spurs were were pretty woeful, to be honest. You know, they, they hardly had the ball. They barely launched an attack. Every time they got the ball back from Marseille, they had sort of so many players behind the ball. They, they essentially really had nowhere to go. Um, it was quite difficult really to see what the game plan was. And I guess when they got to half time, maybe the one sort of blessing was that they had just conceded literally on the stroke of half time. And that kind of gave them a the break. I think half time almost sort of forced them to come up with a, a better plan for the second half, you know, a more offensive um, attacking strategy that actually designed to kind of score against Marseille, whereas the first half was very much just about sitting behind the ball and and hoping for the best, really hanging on. Um, and in the second half, they were transformed. There's no doubt about that. They were right from the off, you know, much more energetic, much pressing, much higher, and they created a lot of chances and, and they equalised. And then they actually had quite a few chances before Hoiberg scored with the last kick of the game to win it, which in the end, obviously, was such an important goal because it not only meant they qualify, but it means they go through as group winners. And, you know, if you look at it in terms of results, you know, Spurs are in a, in a, in a, in a very strong position. You know, they're, they're third in the Premier League. Um, they go through as, as group winners now to the last 16. Um, if they, you know, can get a couple of good results in their last two games before the World Cup break, you know, then they'll probably look at that and think that's a really, a really great, you know, turnaround for them from from this sort of first half of the season, if you like. So, but there's no doubt that in terms of the performances in recent weeks, the the style hasn't been great, and this kind of you know constant need to sort of come back from behind in matches really raises concern. I mean, not least because you know the margins are always so fine. Yeah, yeah, Tom. I mean, uh, 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 you know, Spurs is Spurs. Its habit of uh, you know only entering games at lunchtime, as it were. Um, how much of how much of this is do you think is strategic that that Antonio Conte thinks, right, we can out-stamina most of our opponents, but there's certain areas in which I don't trust the team yet. So so this is what we're going to do. We're going to play in the second 45 minutes, and and that's and that's the formula that's going to work for us. Yeah, I mean, it was interesting that after the game, because um, Conte was obviously suspended, so he wasn't doing the kind of media duties, but his assistant, Christian Stellini, 
basically kind of posited this this theory that actually sometimes it can be a deliberate strategy to sort of start slowly that you conserve your energy allow the opponent to kind of overexert to dominate the game and then you kind of hit them in the in the second half it's a sort of a a rope a dope idea i guess i mean i i don't really buy it i have to say i mean I, I, first of all i'm not sure how much energy you can serve by by not having the ball i mean i, I feel like tottenham in that first half in france were, were, were exhausted by the end of it you know because they were chasing shadows all the time you know i think you know if you speak to the kind of the the, the, the more sort of possession based coaches one of the main ideas of, of having the ball is that you sort of you tire out the opposition and you give your own players a rest by, by by keeping it. So I don't necessarily buy the idea that just by by allowing the, the opposition to dominate the, the first half, you somehow come out feeling feeling super fresh in the second. And I think I think the other problem with that idea is just is just the margins are always are always so fine. You know, I mean you're basically trying to turn around a match where you're probably always going to be a goal down, um, possibly. Um, and that's definitely been the case in the last few weeks. You know, you look at the games against United and Newcastle when they couldn't turn it around. And, and also, I, I guess the real the problem here is that is that maybe to play that way, you know, you need a, a defence which is which is razor tight. You know, you need you need a really sort of strong back line that doesn't make mistakes, um, a very disciplined midfield. And I'm not sure Conte has that in this Tottenham team yet. The problem that they have is when they give up so much of the ball, so much of the match, they still have players who are going to make individual errors, who are going to switch off in those in those moments. And as a result, it means that they're always coming from one or two goals down, you know. And I guess if you had a really, really uh, well drilled, well drilled defence with a load of you know fantastic Italian defenders like maybe Conte has had before, maybe it's a, a strategy that could come off. But I think at this moment in time with this Tottenham team I'm not sure they have the the quality needed to pull that off Harry Kane was probably closer to the mark at the weekend when he said that they're not really able to play with freedom until they've got nothing to lose I think that's perfectly evident in the second half and does that not mean they're being a little bit restricted by by Conte yeah I mean I think that was a really interesting point that Kane made you know the idea that, that they only really play with urgency and and freedom and liberation when they're suddenly having to chase a game um and it was interesting as well that Clement Longley said after the Marseille match, he kind of said, um, we, we didn't really know how to play in the first half because um, we we knew that a draw was enough, you know, and when you know a draw is enough, you know, you don't really know whether to push for the win or whether to, to hang on to what you have. But but then the problem with that idea is that they also knew that a win definitely would be enough. A win would have meant Tottenham qualified first in the group. You know, a draw was only ever really going to be enough probably to finish second. Um, there was a chance it, it might have still allow them to finish first but probably most likely it was always going to be a win to finish first and, and a draw to finish second so why was there this idea from kickoff that maybe a draw was what they should be playing for you know it just seems to me that if you if you think like a top team like Real Madrid or, or Manchester City I, I don't imagine they would be going into that game against Marseille who you know let's not forget you know had lost four of their last six matches you know this isn't sort of one of the the giants of Europe. This is a team who are very much beatable, or at least should be beatable. You know, if, you, if you're if you're thinking, you know, coming from a team like Spurs or a team who really wants to do well in the Champions League, this is a game they could have gone into and thought, let's just go and win the game, and we win the group. You know, so I think there is a a slight kind of um, conservatism still, I think, in, in the way Spurs play, and you have to say that does that come from the manager, the way they're playing? Because right from the outset against Marseille, they weren't playing. 3-4-3 or 3-5-2 they were basically playing 5-3-2 you know the, the fullbacks the wingbacks as it were were definitely playing right back and left back you know this is the kind of thing you see almost from Simeone sometimes Atletico Madrid you know sort of a back five you know very much a sort of block of three in the middle with the two strikers even sort of dropping right back in as well so um, I think there's definitely an, a tactical element to it but it was interesting as well obviously there's a that has definitely sort of um, now coming to the mentality of the players as well. They only really feel in the second half when they have to come back from games that that's when they can really play perhaps, um, you know, the way they want to play, play with more more liberation and press higher and actually try and create chances to win the game. Uh, so the question to all of you now really is, has Tottenham go into the last 16 uh, of the Champions League? What sort of prospect will they be? Group winners, so they should have, I guess, a preferential draw unless they get Paris Saint-Germain. I personally, I'm not concerned about Tottenham doing much 
in the Champions League. And I'm basing that on their group stage performance. I don't think it was a particularly strong group that they were in. They had the Europa League winners as their team from pot one, which is, you know, as comfortable as you can get if you're a Premier League side in, in particular. And I don't think they've set the tournament alight, even though they've gone through as, as group winners. So do I think they're going to be quarter-finalists? Possibly. Semi-finalists, I'd say that was incredible for them. Final again, like they did way back when with, with Mauricio Pochettino, would be obviously incredible. But I mean, genuinely, if they play one of the big sides in the competition at this point in time, and I know they're getting results, and I know they're not playing well in getting those results, I just don't see them troubling the Champions League, really. As much as we're talking about you know, another great comeback, it could also have gone the other way. Yeah, yeah, Kolasinic's yeah. header in the 88th minute, oh my God, I just don't know how he missed that. Perisic's block on Sanchez as well. Sanchez spun in the box and that was that was goal bound. Um, you could argue that Hoiberg, uh, you know, Hoiberg rattled, rattled the bar earlier on, and they were much improved in the second half. I thought I thought Bentancur is was was outstanding in the second half, and his his kind of value to Tottenham is growing by the week, really. But uh, you know, when all said and done, I pretty much agree with you. Yes. I think they don't have quite enough to compete with the best at this level. So it will, you know, will depend on the on the the draw. And they, they'll always, you know, be able to derive some hope from, as you say, that this kind of growing feeling that they've always got something in the locker to come back and and pull off something miraculous. So that will always be there with them. But I, I agree with you. I think that there's there's some far stronger teams in, in Tottenham in this competition. I'll forecast that uh, Tottenham will be eliminated at uh, as Antonio Conte usually is earlier than he would like to be in the European competition and uh, and he will probably complain about the resources he's got and that will happen <laughs> at the quarterfinal at the very latest <laughs> okay all right well listen Spurs fans will hold on to some hope given that they are through to the knockout stages got to say one negative on the evening Son Heung Min looks like he's going to have surgery on a fracture around his left eye he could miss the World Cup for South Korea where he of course is their captain um, he'll miss the game with Liverpool at the weekend in the Premier League as well. So let's discuss them, Liverpool that is, before we move forward. Um, Liverpool ending Napoli's flawless Champions League record. Victory at Anfield. They still had to settle though for second in their group. Late goals from Mo Salah and Darwin Nunez giving them a 2-0 victory. I think the most important thing here, Gregor, was that Liverpool immediately responded to that defeat to Leeds at the weekend. Although it may be underlines you know, the highs and lows, the roller coaster that Liverpool are currently on. Yeah, and they're playing against the informed team in, in Europe. I think they scored 50 goals this season. Yeah, another other thing I think is is the kind of... We're speaking about it more and more every week now about the development of, of Darwin Nunes. And although it's a, it's a cameo from the bench, he's, he's got another goal. And I think as we're starting to see him impact more and more games. Um, so I, I think, you know, that's going to be so important for Liverpool because it's... We've spoken about how at both ends of the pitch, actually, you know, I said the other week, if if he took away the nine goals he scored against Bournemouth, of I think they scored fourteen goals in eleven Premier League games. That's that's nowhere near um, enough for a team that want to be challenging at the top of the end of the Premier League. So they need Nunes to be fit and firing. And Paul Joyce wrote about about this after the game, actually, saying that you know, yes, as is another player that's playing in the shadow of of uh, Erling Haaland, <laughs> even though he's at a different club. Um, but he, you know, he was laying out this, this kind of statistical viewpoint, saying that it's been a good return so far, and he's he he is uh, grown in stature. So that was a big positive for them. But yeah, as I say, one of the informed teams in Europe that we're playing against, and although there was nothing, you know, major rider in the game, it was it was uh, uh, you know another positive bounce back from Liverpool. They just don't want any more any more negatives to bounce back from. To be honest, for a while. Did this result surprise you, Ian? I'm sure you've seen more of Napoli than us. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. But it was quite interesting what um, Luciano Spalletti said afterwards. Um, it, I mean, partly he was, you know, he was making excuses. He didn't like losing the unbeaten record, even though, um, you know, there wasn't a huge amount hanging on the game. You know, he said that he detected that they were easing off once they knew that they weren't going to lose by four goals, which was... Which was what would have changed the the order at the top of the group, and uh, but he but he said something uh, slightly more flattering to Liverpool after having said his own team were easing up. He said that it was Liverpool's character not to do that sort of thing that they would they would go flat out all the time, um, and and you know they, uh, I think possibly towards the end Liverpool did want it more and perhaps needed it more in terms of 
you know, restoring faith, restoring confidence. But I agree with Gregor that that um, that, that Darwin is really, you know, is really proving what a good signing he is, and 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 I think will become. You know, he gives them gives them that threat in the air, and he gives them all that energy, and he does give them something different. Yeah. So you know, a positive vibes in a in a season where they've been hard to grasp for. Liverpool. Liverpool fans were delighted as well with uh, Ibrahima Kanate's return to the starting lineup, and I think he showed why he just needs to stay fit for them defensively as well. But it's a big game for them this weekend, and maybe Kanate will play a part going up against Harry Kane and Co. Hyung uh, Min Son should be missing for this match as well. How do we think their trip to the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium will play out this weekend? Because it is a a huge fixture for both clubs. I mean, Liverpool, I think, in particular, because of what's been happening to them in, in the Premier League and the fact that they just can't lose another game so soon and just have that negativity return, particularly after midweek. But they are away from home against the Tottenham side too that, that needs to start picking up more positive results and thankfully had a, a big comeback victory against Bournemouth last weekend, but they can't start the same way against Liverpool this week. Uh, Tom, what do you think? How will it play out at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium? I mean, from Tottenham's point of view, they're, they're obviously struggling now for, for, for players up front. I mean, Son Heung-min, we assume, won't be fit to play at the weekend with his with his eye injury that he requires surgery on now this week. Uh, Richarlison and Kulisevsky, uh, both unavailable at the moment. We wait to hear what Conte says about them tomorrow. Um, and so I guess, you know, they're, they're really struggling for numbers up there, whether, whether they play Brian Hill or Lucas Moore alongside Harry Kane, or whether they just pack the midfield and go with Basuma again in a, in a, in a sort of midfield five. Um, that could be a, an alternative solution. But from, I guess, Liverpool look at this and think, well, look, this is a Spurs team now without, you know, two or three pretty key players. They're coming back off the back of a very um, draining midweek game against Marseille, where they've had to go right to the end of the match. Um you know, I think Liverpool think this is a real opportunity for them to kind of land a, a real sort of statement win in, in, in a sense of their recovery um, on the back of what was obviously a pretty impressive match for them in, in the Champions League. So, you know, I think it's obviously a very tough game for, for Spurs. Um, and I think both teams will really, really cherish a result here because going into the World Cup, they would love to have a, a big win against against one of the other teams in the top six to kind of keep their resurgence going, if you like. Will those attacking injuries be the difference, do you think, this weekend, Ian? It's a curious fixture given the, the habits of the two sides, isn't it? Tottenham can't do anything in the first half. Liverpool keep conceding goals in the first five minutes. I wonder what's going to give. You know? <laughs> will, will Spurs actually say, this is a, this is a we're up against a, a team who have a habit of, of of starting badly, let's go for it. Or will it be, hang on, boys, let's see how things are at half time. Um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, it's uh, Son, even though he hasn't had um, the best of seasons overall by his very high standards, you know, he's a he's a big miss, isn't he? Mm. And and yeah, you know, the, we're beginning to see that actually Conti might have a point when he says that you know there is there is a shallowness to. Spurs' squad, you know, given the given the absences of those three up front, it's um it's going to be hard work for Harry Kane, I think. I don't think Spurs would be disappointed with a draw. There's ten points separate in these two clubs already, which seems insane. <laughs> and all the as you know, we've said on week by week, all the kind of the hair pulling about Spurs and and the and Conti's football, they're still third in the Premier League and they're in into the last sixteen of the Champions League, so. Um, you know, if you're not playing well and you're still getting results like this, then you know I wouldn't be too disappointed if I was a Spurs fan. He's bringing something. It's hard to put your finger what you know on exactly what it is, but they're getting over the line and they're certainly producing results when otherwise, you know, in the past they haven't. Again, they're another team that I yeah I just don't see it at the moment from either Liverpool or Tottenham Hotspur. Both of them are sort of clinging for consistency and. Again, like we do, I think every result means maybe something bigger than it than it will in the the grand scheme of things come the end of the season. You know, we might say, oh, look, you know, Tottenham turning point. They've beaten Liverpool 3-0 or vice versa. You know, Liverpool are back. We already did that a few weeks ago. I think it's hard to have a turning point when we're so close to the World Cup, though. I think it's like everything's forgotten about for now? a while. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I think it's about getting through to the World Cup and seeing where where you are at that point. So Liverpool, from that regard, probably need this more. They need to 
climb the table and get within touching distance because it'll be a long month otherwise looking upwards. Okay. All right. We'll react to that game on Monday. Liverpool taking on Spurs in the Premier League. A big game to come uh, between Chelsea and Arsenal. We'll discuss Chelsea in the Champions League next and that match uh, this weekend. Remember, if you're enjoying the podcast, make sure you're subscribed. Well, Chelsea came from behind to beat uh, Dinamo Zagreb at Stamford Bridge this week. Graham Potter's side already confirmed as group winners. Uh, there was a sad note for the evening. Another injury ahead of the World Cup. This time a hamstring problem for Ben Chilwell. That leaves his inclusion for England in question. Despite that injury, though, there were some positive uh, signs for Chelsea, in particular the performance of Dennis Zakaria, the defensive midfielder who was signed on a season-long loan on transfer deadline day from Juventus by the previous Chelsea boss, Thomas Tuchel. He was then overlooked completely by the German. This was his debut. He scored in what was a pretty impressive first appearance, Ian. Um, He didn't play that well for Juventus, which is how he ended up so quickly at Chelsea, to be perfectly honest. But do you think Chelsea could use a player like him right now? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, certainly, in, you know, in the absence of N'Golo Conte, that's, you know, it's a position that needs needs some cover. I mean, it's it, you're right. He he he's had a very peculiar year, really. He was he was he was injured a little bit at Juventus, to be to be fair. But um, but you know, he he made very little impression there. Um, which is why they weren't, uh, you know, they were they were happy enough to let him go. And um, I, I mean, I think I, I suspect some people have had rather forgotten that he was at uh, at Chelsea at all. But uh, yeah, I mean, lovely lovely occasion for his debut and it, and 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 scoring a goal, which really isn't you know something that's that that he's best known for. But he played with a lot of authority and 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 I think you know he is he's important to his national team Switzerland. So. You know, from a personal point of view, he'll be pleased to have made an impression at Chelsea, but also to you know to get some some football in his legs. Graham Potter will be delighted. Um, interestingly, for him personally, these are going to be some very big games when we do reach the knockout stages uh, in the Champions League for for him and for Chelsea, of course. Um, but we do need to talk about these injuries because I think it was a you know a decent win for Chelsea already through as, as group winners. We mentioned Son Heung-min a little bit earlier on. We'll talk about the championship and their workload a little bit later on in the podcast as well. How big a blow for England could Ben Chilwell's injury be if it is the worst? And at this point, it's unconfirmed. We don't know how long it could be, but it didn't look great, did it? And Graham Potter didn't give us uh, any real positive noises after the game either. Huge? It's just the, the fact that, you know, it would have been between him and Luke Shaw and now they're kind of left open or you're relying on Kieran Trippier to be the kind of you know, auxiliary left back if he has to be. But he might be the right back because you're struggling on that side too with Rhys James and Kyle Walker. There's been positive noises about Kyle Walker being fit. But, you know, you've gone from a gamut of right backs to that being severely diminished and then Trippi, his value become you know grows even more. So, yeah, huge blow, a huge blow for him personally. Crikey, he's just come back from a serious knee injury. I interviewed him in the summer, actually, and, um, you know, he was making out how... He was, he was absolutely clear how important it was for him to to have a good start to the season and and go to the World Cup and and you know his ambitions to be the number one left back. So um, he said it'd be the most you know the biggest moment of his career, big moment, biggest moment of his life. So it's, you've got to remember as well from a personal point of view how much how painful this is. Look, it's not it's not a, a certainty, but there's 18 days to go until England play Iran. 18 days with a hamstring pull. It all depends. You you can get a hamstring tweak and be back training in two weeks, but if it's a bit more than that and there's a tear, and you're looking at a month on the sidelines, then you know he's done. That's really, really, really heartbreaking. It's becoming more evident what a strange experience this World Cup will be. Yeah, and the the workload of players has been madness. The eight-day gap between the end of the Premier League and the start of the World Cup, but also you see players like Son for Spurs, um, and just his. 
you know, the, the, the size of his um, fame, the size of his importance for South Korea, uh, for Asian football as a whole, you know, fingers crossed for him as well. But a player like that to miss the World Cup, you know, you almost think, well, if, if Pogba misses it for France, they've got replacements, they've got superstars um, in French football. They've won it a couple of times. You know, it's not the same as a figure like Hyung Min Son. In, you know, it might be like a, you know, a Mane or a Salah figure in African football. Mm. You know, if one of those two players were missing, he is simply huge for Asian football. So again, fingers crossed for him it's on a personal note too that he makes it. It's not on the same level. And we're looking uh, looking across their games this week. I think Timo Werner limped off as well for, lap, uh, for RB Leipzig. He scored, I think he scored 24 goals in 50-odd appearances for Germany. He's not, you know, it's not on this, quite the same level as Son or yeah, someone, yeah. but he's a big player. Germany so the, the the kind of hard facts are we're going to see fewer of the players we want to see uh, playing in the World Cup that's just the reality of it yeah I think so listen um, we're going to talk more about injuries a little bit later on as I said um, but let's talk about Chelsea and that massive game uh, in the Premier League this weekend they host the league leaders Arsenal always a massive London derby um, Tom what do you think will be key for both sides in this one yeah I mean I, I think Chelsea going to this game you know I think off the back of that victory midweek was very important for them you know that that big defeat away at Brighton last weekend for Graham Potter was was obviously the first real setback I think since he's taken over. So to to get that win in midweek going into this what is a massive game this weekend against Arsenal I think was very important. Um, but I think Arsenal, you know, they're they're really on obviously on the crest of a wave themselves. I mean, uh, this is a, a, a big test for them, I guess. You know, we're not sort of talking really about kind of a game that's going to define their their title challenge if you like or anything or anything like that but I think equally this is one of their biggest games so far this season you know if we look at the the real big matches Arsenal have come through so far they they lost to United they beat a Spurs team who you know they admittedly dominated that match but equally they did have the benefit of playing against 10 men for for most of the second half um and they played Liverpool and 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 won but equally you know Liverpool have been so up and down you know so I think this is another real, real test for our, for Arsenal to really, to really see where they are in terms of, in terms of the title race. Um, you know, the, the, the strikers. You know, I think in recent weeks have been slightly, just slightly faded out a little bit with, with Jesus. Obviously, his early scoring form has has just dwindled a little. Um, so, you know, I think if they can get a win here, then there's, then absolutely no doubt that they'll, they'll feel they're right in the running heading into the World Cup break. And, and for Chelsea, you know, it's a, it, it, it's one where I think. You know, on the back of that uh, defeat against Brighton, you know they'll be really hoping to to get back to winning ways, even though they've they've had a few injuries and a few players who are slightly struggling for form. So it's a big game for both teams, and I feel maybe, you know, maybe both would kind of take a point going into it. I think it's a bigger game for both teams than the game between Liverpool and Tottenham. I think Arsenal are trying to convince everyone but also themselves I think that they can be genuine title contenders this season after their start they are simply you know and you mention it there you know there are still question marks over the good performances they had against big clubs because of the form that their opponents were in at the time. They obviously had their game against Manchester City postponed. They played Manchester United, the only really, you know, big club. I don't know if they're a fantastic team at the moment, but the only other big club they played and they lost that game. And we still sort of, and I hate the fact that we do it, talk about Manchester City as if they've already won the Premier League title this season when Arsenal are top. So I think if Arsenal win this game, it is huge for the psychology of the fans and the players. And I know Chelsea aren't right up there at the top of the, the, the pile at right now, but they are Chelsea. You know, they're a team that has had lots of success in the last two decades. They're a team with lots of good players. And again, they might not be playing great at the moment, but I still think Arsenal would lay down a bit of a marker if they could beat Chelsea away from home this weekend. And then when it comes to Chelsea... I think it's huge for them because they're 10 points behind Arsenal. And again, Graham Potter is trying to, I guess, grasp for that respect in terms of this position um, to show everyone that he can be a great Chelsea manager of the future, that their current malaise, if you like, if you want to call it that, since the end of the Roman Abramovich era and Thomas Tuchel leaving the club, is just a short-term thing. Games like this, to beat the league leaders, um, to do it in a positive way, not just to bounce back from their defeat of last weekend, it's going to be huge for him and what he can do in terms of that changing room and those fans at Chelsea. So I think this is is a huge game for both clubs, simply. I presume that Arsenal 
will play better because they have been playing better. Um, but I'm not too sure that Chelsea's style in terms of their tactics go great for allowing Arsenal to play at their best. It could be a bit of a, a game where Arsenal have a lot of possession um, and maybe don't create all of the chances that they have in, in other games. Um, it could be tight, could be low scoring, could be Arsenal on top could be Chelsea maybe nicking something later on that's how I see it in my mind anyway what about you Gregor yeah that's the that's the fascinating thing is that both of these teams are you know at the best want to dominate possession and uh, just looking at the the kind of possession stats it's obviously Manchester City are out in front and then Liverpool but then it's Chelsea on 60 average Arsenal 57 so not a great deal between them and you kind of Chelsea I think they played well the other night uh, in, in the Champions League in, in, in terms of uh, seeing what Graham Potter wants the team to play like and obviously they're playing against a bit of a lesser opposition but the way they kind of get quick switches of play and you know lots of overloads particularly on the flanks so I think I think the, the it, what's going to be interesting is who manages to kind of come out on top in that battle basically not just not just keeping aimless possession but you know dominating the ball and in that in that, that respect dominating the game I think Arsenal Arsenal managed to find kind of a bit more grit being able to when they are under the cosh hold out and kind of get through more, tougher moments then, then that's the biggest change for them as well this season so um, you know even if Arsenal tried to make it a bit more of a battle I think that, that could probably play into their hands as well Bit of a change of system in midweek for Graham Potter as well didn't see Raheem Sterling uh, as a left wing back did get on the score sheet though so that was important. Yeah, it was, it was a strange finish as well. It was like the, the ball came into him and he kind of took three or four steps without actually touching the ball after controlling it. And, <laughs> and the defender was falling over at first and then trying to block. And Sterling was kind of, I think he was trying to weigh up what the guy, this guy was doing. And then he shifted it to his left and it was a lovely finish with his left foot. And you could see how kind of relieved and happy he was with that in his celebration. So yeah, that's a big moment for him. And, you know, we've spoken about bit before about how he needs to wherever he's playing he needs to still contribute in terms of his numbers to the to the team and and uh, you know I, we probably agree he's gonna he's gonna be playing up front I think mostly mm. and that's so he needs to score goals so he, um, he's looking to add. the train is now approaching junction at platform passengers airport please stay on board next stop iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Add to that again at the weekend. Ian, how do you see this fixture going this weekend? Arsenal taking on Chelsea. I think Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang will score a winning goal late on. Yes, I've not mentioned That would be the narrative, wouldn't it? Um, it would be sensational. Uh, no, I mean, I'm, I'm being slightly uh, facetious, but but you know, it's it, it's a big game for him. You know, so much has happened to him and to Arsenal in what the 11 months since since he fell out quite dramatically with with Mikel Arteta. But you know, it, it's uh, it's he's still making his reputation. He's still he's still finding his niche at, at Chelsea, and and I think um, you know how how however long he participates in the game, I think uh, you know I think he's. He's, he's one to watch in this one. And we will keep a close eye on him. Yeah, what price a Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang winner uh, at Stamford Bridge against his former club, Arsenal. Anyway, uh, we'll react to that on Monday. Up next, we'll round up the rest of the best in the Champions League. 
Well, there was a special evening at the Etihad Stadium. Manchester City's Rico Lewis overtaking the great Karim Benzema as the youngest goalscorer in their first Champions League start. He hit the equaliser as Manchester City came from behind to beat Sevilla 17 years and 346 days old. Not bad at all for the young man. Charlotte Dunker of the Times was there. Tell us about Manchester City because it seems like they are producing more talent to go with some of the elite signings they have made. That's important for the club and it was a lovely evening for Rico Lewis as well. Oh yeah, and what a finish it was from him as well, from the right back at the the near post. He beat Sevilla keeper and I think it just topped off what was a really good night for him. I was watching in the first half as Guardiola was coaching him quite closely, urging him to get up the pitch like he likes his full-backs to do and to be fair to the teenager, he was taking everything on board and I personally thought he played really well and as he, he was subbed, but he was on the other side of the pitch, so he had to walk around the whole perimeter of the uh, pitch and he got a stand innovation from all the stands. He's a Manchester City fan. He's been with the club since he was eight years old. As you said, first start in the Champions League, so what a moment for him. But Pep Guardiola spoke effusively about him in his press conference afterwards and like you say, he said he spoke a lot about the academy and the talent that they're producing in there. We've seen Phil Foden, Jaden Sancho obviously came through there. Paul Palmer started for them as well last night. And there's a few others who have been pressed and gone out on loan. So a lot's been made about the big stars that they've brought in. But over the years, they've improved their academy. And there's a lot of them who are pushing to get in the starting in 11 now. Charlotte, it's been pretty comfortable for Manchester City in the Champions League. Four wins, two draws, top of their group. The group that included Borussia Dortmund, Sevilla and Copenhagen as well and of course the big question around Manchester City has always been whether they will pick up their Champions League the the trophy that has eluded their ownership group so far what do you see as their sort of big barriers to success this year because they, they look great so far if I think if you go back over the last few seasons in terms of how they performed in the Champions League we've been here before when we've said this is the year Manchester City are going to win it they're the best team in Europe and on their day Arguably, they are the best team in Europe, but for some reason, they get to the latter stages of the the knockout rounds. Guardiola's known historically for overthinking it. You've just got to look back to what happened when they got beat by Real Madrid. Everyone thought they were odds-on to go through and then they, they go, end up getting knocked out. So I think it's at this stage, it's a mentality thing. It's definitely not lack of talent or impressing on the pitch. And now they've obviously added Erling Haaland to the mix. He's already scored five goals, I think, in the Champions League group stage. He has missed the the last couple of group stage games. So I can understand why they'd be favourites. But this year, they need to get over that mental barrier as to why they just can't seem to get over the line. Charlotte, obviously it was Rico Lewis's night, but you give Mm -hmm. uh, Alvarez man of the match and I thought he was outstanding as well. The way he took his goal at pace around the goalkeeper is a brilliant first touch. Uh, for his goal, and then he's kind of pressing for for Mahrez's, uh third. Uh, how impressed were you by by him? He's obviously got some someone to be, pretty, uh, you know, it's unfavourable <laughs> comparisons between him and, and Haaland. It's not easy for him, but I think he's made an impressive start. So how, how impressed were you with him? Yeah. You're right. I, I thought he was really good. I think there is a lot of pressure on him because, like you say, if you come in and you're being compared to Erling Haaland, who's just this superhuman striker who it's unfair to really compare anyone to. But naturally, the pair of them have both come in in the summer. Erling Haaland missed the game against Leicester at the weekend. I was there at the King Power. I didn't really think that Alvarez had that presence in the box that we see from Haaland. There was a few opportunities where... Leicester was sitting very deep and I thought if Haaland had been on the pitch then even he might not have scored but I think that his presence would have distracted the other defenders to maybe give City that breakthrough they were looking for but they are two very different players and with that pressure on him and he was put up in the press conference before the game on Tuesday and he said how he's been learning from Sergio Aguero he talks to him regularly Obviously, he learns from Haaland in training. He can learn from Messi when he's in the national team. So he's got three very good attack-minded players to be learning from there. But it's, I think I was more impressed. Yes, oh, you're right. He did take his goal very well. But I was more impressed with his build-up play and the involvement for Ed Mahrez's goal. And just his movement in and around the box and how he was helping his teammates. I thought he had a really good performance. Well, Manchester City doing swimmingly uh, in the Champions League. One team who really didn't finish bottom of their Champions League group, Rangers. In fact, not just bottom of their group, officially the worst team 
in Champions League history. Six games, six defeats and a new worst goal difference of minus 20. That following their latest defeat, a 3-1 defeat by Ajax. Now, let's put this into some context, Gregor, shall we? Uh, it was their first appearance in the Champions League for, what, 12 years? It has been in the interim a huge time of upheaval at the club. So just to be in the Champions League, having gone through the qualifiers, was a great achievement. How bad was their performance really then, overall? I mean, there were positive moments and spells in games. that You can say the same about Celtic too, which I'm sure, I'm sure we'll come to. Um, but overall, it's it's pretty chastening, really, um, and embarrassing. And I don't think... It's strange it'll put Giovanni van Bronckhurst in kind of under a bit of pressure really and you know I almost feel some sympathy for him really because he's coming up against a level of opponent that is so different to anything that Rangers have played against as you say for for uh, for a decade or more so um, you know I, I think back to the game against Na- Napoli at, at Ibrox and, and they were excellent in the first half um, and it's just the kind of moments of quality the, the moments that decide games and you know, look. There's also been some some pretty humili- humiliating games. The first game at Ajax was a shambles, um, and they were they were pretty much outplayed again uh, on uh, on Tuesday night. So, yeah, really pretty embarrassing, really, to be honest, for Rangers and for for Scotland too. You know, it's you know we spoke we spoke before in the build up to the to the Champions League about how good this is for Scottish football, and and then when you <laughs> when you when the the end result is is this. Uh, it's it's the opposite now. It's kind of it's a reminder of where where these two clubs are and where the Scottish league is. And the only positive is that the the winners will, will qualify. Winners of the of the Scottish Premiership will automatically qualify again next year. So um, it's not you know it's always been about even if even if you win the the, S, the SPFL, it's about you still have to go through the qualification stage and that's not, you know, that was no foregone conclusion as Celtic uh, demonstrated on a number of occasions. So that is one positive. It's it's that hopefully Scottish football and Scottish clubs will have the opportunity to to learn and to do it year upon year. Um, I can quickly speak about Celtic too if you want. Oh, we'll absolutely. Yeah, no, no. We'll I mean, it was it just, the thing is it was a learning experience for Celtic, but if they do win the league this year, they look good. Uh, domestically this season then they can learn a lot from how they performed in the Champions League group this year they also finished bottom of their group they did pick up a couple of draws though Uh, given a lesson if you like in their most recent game beaten 5-1 by Real Madrid at the Bernabeu but Ange Postacoglu's side um, in spells of a number of games showed you know they just couldn't take the chances but for periods dominated, including that first match against Real Madrid, which was just startling. Yeah. If they can sort of bottle some of that, take it forward into next season, learn about being a little bit more pragmatic, maybe add some quality as well. Because again, you know, being a side that's definitely going to be in the Champions League in terms of loan signings it can make, in terms of the investment that you can make, there's a chance that Celtic can go again, maybe be a little bit more stronger in the competition uh, next season. Yeah, although the... Pragmatism, I think there's you've got two hopes of that. Unfortunately, <laughs> <laughs> I think this is the way that uh, Ange Postecoglou wants to play. He wants to go out and take the game to any opponent, and we've seen the result of that. We've seen, as you say, first half against Real Madrid could have been two or three nil up. Should have been. There were great chances. Um, Shakhtar away, it was like it, it was. It got ridiculous. It became like a parody of. You know the number of opportunities that were missed. Um, I don't know how that game wasn't won. So there have been moments like that. But what do you, what do you really learn from that? The, that you're sure. good. That you're good enough to win games well, at this level, even though you didn't win a game. Okay, but I mean, <laughs> at the same time, it's not. But you learn. You have to take your chances. One. I mean, that's a big, big lesson that Celtic will have learned. That this doesn't year. help you do it. No, it doesn't help you. Do, it doesn't help you do it, and it's obviously stating the obvious. But then again, as a club, you go, we need a better, we need better forwards in that case. You know, we've got a good enough manager. This is an area we need to improve. Startling how many chances were missed. Well, there'll be calls. As I say, there'll be calls for, perhaps I think for, Postecoglou to change his approach slightly in Europe next season if we were to get to the stage again next season. But I don't think he'll do it. So I think actually, you know, it might be that the 
if there was a repeat of this or something close to it, you know, then the pressure would rise on him a little bit, I think. But the main thing, the main, the thing that is absolutely clear is he will not change the way that Celtic play and approach games. And there's something to be, you know, admired in that. But as you say, we need to turn positive performances, huge number of chances created. I looked at some of the stats and Celtic had 30 shots on target across the across the games and only conceded 32 on target. So like, <laughs> the, you know, we conceded 15 goals and scored four. It's like, that's a very basic sort of prism to, through which to look at this. But um, it's an example. It's a kind of a guidance to show that there were a lot of opportunities uh, fashioned by Celtic and just... You know, a really startling inability to put the ball in the back of the net. Well, Celtic and Rangers are out bottom of their group alongside Atletico Madrid. So it happens to the best of them, uh, just like Diego Simeone. Uh, into the Europa League go Ajax, Leverkusen, Barcelona, Sporting, RB Salzburg, Shakhtar Donetsk, uh, Sevilla and Juventus as well. The old lady did manage to stay in Europe, uh, weren't knocked out altogether like Atletico. It means, though, there's only one Spanish team left in the Champions League. Uh, two Portuguese teams left as well. Ian, any dark horses for you? Uh, well, actually, just, just following on from from, from what uh, Gregor was describing, it's... It, it's it it would be easy if you were if you were feeling gloomy in glasgow at the moment to think actually that this this you know this this was a slightly open champions league and perhaps you know perhaps there should be scottish representation in in a last 16 where there is a belgian club for instance and as you say two portuguese clubs um it, it yeah it it's it's by recent standards and i think 2 years ago maybe 3 years ago we had basically Four, four, three from uh, the same country plus Paris Saint Germain. So it, it does look a bit less uniform. So uh, yeah, I mean, looking for a, a dark horse, a, a, a Brugge or Bruges, if you prefer, have been, um, you know, have been have been a sort of refreshing uh, new presence so far. I I can't see them. I can't see them. You know, reaching a semi final or anything, but. But but they've been great and 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 they've you know they they cleared a really nasty um, looking group with Atletico Madrid and Porto both of whom are sort of you know seasoned aggressive sides um, although as you say Atletico Madrid have been deeply disappointing and and uh, overly uh, negative and and nowhere near the sum of their parts which is unusual for uh, for them um, Benfica have been terrific. And there was marvellous drama when they when they seized the top of the group late on at Maccabi Haifa. Um, you know they they they're unbeaten all season. They 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 really are a dark horse. And and remember this is you know this is the year after they they sold uh, Darwin to to Liverpool. So. Uh, you know, some some really good things going on there. Okay, that's our roundup of the Champions League. Um, it's been good so far this season. I, who could you call a clear favourite at this point in time? Would you? I, I wouldn't. I, I, do you know what? I would never say Manchester City. I've just been stung too many times. <laughs> you know, so I just I'm never going to say Manchester City. So my favourites in the Champions League. Should we go for Real Madrid? Let's go for Real Madrid. What about you? That's the two. Yeah. yeah. I think that I think they're the two, but I I agree it's a bit more open this year, and it's kind of you know with the the demise of many of the Spanish clubs and demise, the demise. No, strong bad bad period. It's a bad period for a couple of Spanish clubs. There's financial uh, difficulties which are which are which are uh, chronic in some cases. Um, you know they are counting the cost of the post-pandemic tightening of belts um, and. Uh, Barcelona will will bounce back in some form, but I think it's going to be a very long time before we look at Barcelona and think that is the the model to follow in terms of the way to run a club and 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 you know nurture an academy um, or to play football actually, which is what Barcelona were ten years ago. Um, so no, I, I I think I think this this Spanish demise you know might be might be slightly more serious than. Uh, than you suggest. Oh no, this is <laughs> terrible news, Tom. I know you worked in Spain for a long time. What's your view? I think always, you know, there's a slight danger in in taking a small sample of 
of results and by that I mean sort of one season's worth you know this year obviously a really disappointing performance from the teams you know and and there's no doubt the trajectory of of Spanish football in La Liga has definitely been downward in the last few years I mean you know you only have to look at the kind of the, the activity that happened in the transfer window of the summer you know Casemiro leaving Real Madrid for Man United but even people like you know Diego Carlos leaving uh, Sevilla for Aston Villa you know Emery now swapping Villarreal for Aston Villa as well you know kind of a a Champions League semi-finalist for a bottom half Premier League team, you know, and all of that basically points to the the huge wealth gap now between the Premier League and, and not just La Liga, but the rest of Europe. Um, I think there's definitely a stylistic thing that, that Spain hasn't quite caught up really in the last kind of decade with a sort of shift away from slow possession football to kind of the more physical, um, high tempo, athletic style that, that the best teams in Europe now play. Um, but equally, I think, you know, there are some circumstances, you know, more sort of short term things that just sort of happened this year. Atletico had a few games, you know, where they really could have won, not least that that one where they you know, missed a penalty in the 99th minute, whatever it was, you know, and, and Barca as well had a couple of games where they really felt, you know, they probably should have won. And, and that was not an easy group to get out of either. So, you know, I'm always slightly reluctant to kind of draw sweeping conclusions on the back of of one sort of disappointing season, but there's no doubt that, um, you know, overall Spain are not the force they were. That said, big asterisk, Real Madrid always win the Champions League, you know. So, I mean, there's no, <laughs> if you're asking who's the favourite to win it this year, in my mind, Real Madrid just always are the favourites to win to win the Champions League, you know, no matter what, basically. So, um, and actually, if you look at the kind of record of recent seasons of, of Spanish teams actually hoisting the trophies, well, you know, there's, there, there, there's no better... Um, you know, no league has a better record in that regard. So, um, you know, I think Real Madrid will, will definitely be be the ones to beat again. Um, and uh, yeah, let's see if, it, if the English teams can do it. Okay, all right. A demise of all the Spanish teams, but Real Madrid apparently. Uh, listen, uh, that is our European football talk covered. We go from Madrid to Burnley next. Well, we haven't had much of an opportunity to discuss what's been happening in the EFL so far this season. I think now might be a good time, though. Burnley, five points clear at the top of the table. They came from behind at Turf Moor to beat Rotherham by three goals to two. The winner came in the 100th minute. I was there. The place was absolutely electric at the end of the game. Um, summed up so much of what is good about the championship and maybe bad if you're a Rotherham fan in particular. Um, but Vincent Company's Burnley have now gone 16 matches unbeaten and are at the top of the table. And funnily enough, they have left so many victories out there, so many dominant performances and games that they haven't won so far this season. They've drawn so many matches. Um, it could have been a huge lead for them so far, but it's still a fantastic start for him. And a surprising one, you have to say, given Burnley's relegation, the change in leadership at the club that had been there for so, so long in the shape of Sean Dyche not too long ago and the number of players he signed as well, 16 of them in all, and most of them have taken to English football like a dream. Bear in mind, most of them have come from Belgian football. Um, but it has been generally a very consistent, a very inconsistent start to the championship season from a lot of teams, particularly the ones that we would expect to be high-flying, if you like. Watford already changing their manager. Norwich haven't set the world alight under Dean Smith. Second place, Blackburn Rovers have already lost eight matches. Um, and the Luton boss, Nathan Jones, had some interesting comments at the weekend. He said the, the World Cup, in fact, midweek, he said the World Cup is a waste of space. He's bemoaned the, the schedule, the number of games in terms of what it means for coaches and what it means for the stresses on players' bodies. He's not the only manager to express this. So I wanted to start by talking about what effect we think the schedule is having on the maybe the quality of football, in particular in the championship. Gregor, you, of course, played in the division. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard to gauge because the the championship is always very... Tempestuous. <laughs> There's the one thing is you've got to say is the the two clubs at the top of the division, Burnley and, and Blackburn, they were probably the most interested in the, in the division in the uh, in pre-season. Um, you thought that Burnley would be going going close to being, you know, winning the league perhaps, and Blackburn were a bit more of a mystery, but they've they've had some sort of peaks and troughs. Um, and beyond that, as you say, Norwich, you know, really not impressed, but they're still fifth in the playoffs. Watford have been, you know, their usual kind of basket case self and are still in the playoffs. Sheffield United 
I kind of continued on from from last season, from when Pe- uh, Paul Heckenbottom got the job, and they're they'll be going close as well. But you know, all these teams, all these teams that we've just mentioned, basically, aside from Blackburn, are in receipt of parachute payments. So they've they've they don't have to play that well nowadays to be right up there. Um, and QPR are obviously you know a lot of people tipped them because of their improvement over recent years and Michael. Michael Beals obviously was a bit of a, a dark horse. We didn't really know much about how he was going to be as a, a manager, but it's been positive so far. So I know that's not answering your question. All I'm, mm-hmm. <laughs> all I'm saying is, despite all of that, despite the fact you know we just worked out beforehand that they'll be they'll have played 22 games in 15 weeks before the World Cup. That's a lot. But despite all of that, we're still seeing I think probably the same picture that we would see we would have seen anyway. We're seeing the teams with in receipt of parachute payments up there not necessarily having to play well to do so and teams like you know Nathan Jones speaking about Luton there they're still right and you know they're a win away from being in the playoffs they'll they'll be up there is, it, is the quality being affected? perhaps mm. perhaps a little bit but I don't think that you know detracts from the drama as we saw at Turf Moor it doesn't it doesn't at all but no. it, you know I think there probably have been and you know probably and we're talking it, about injuries too. There's, there's been, there's certainly been a lot of injuries yeah. too. So you know that's going to affect t- squads in the Championship more than it is in the Premier League. Yeah, the manager's talking about a lack of prep time might be the big thing, and that, and that might be a big leveler in terms of the division so far. Yeah, well, look, you're seeing you're seeing a few more teams that are perhaps playing a little bit more direct than than we, we would have expected or have done in the past. Um, as you say, if you've if you've not got the time to work on. The kind of the patterns of play, um, you know, all the things that take a lot of time on the training ground to to employ. It's a bit more easy. To, it's a bit easier, sorry, to go. To to play the game a little bit more simple, um, and I think we have seen that by from some teams. But I think I think I think I think the the volume of play has has affected the quality a little bit. But I don't think, as I say, it's still it's usual kind of basket case of a division, and I'm not sure it's affected the drama. And ultimately, let's be honest about it. The drama is what is so enthralling about the championship more so than the quality. Tom, what do you think? The thing that's really interesting right now is is this sort of incredible transformation of Burnley. I mean, you know, this not only the, their position in the table and, and the way they're playing, but just how quickly it's all happened. You know, I remember companies saying in the summer, you know, that they would kind of aim to be around the top six, maybe come sort of Christmas time, um, you know, saying that the, the changes that he wanted to implement would, would take a take a while and people would have to be patient but what we've seen is, is basically an almost instant turnaround you know and that seems to me to be a really fascinating aspect of all this that you have a manager coming in who wants to to change the not just the kind of the results and the trajectory but the whole culture of the club um, the style the way the the, the, the club approaches um everything from from the way they play but right down to recruitment as well and for that to be kind of producing results so quickly um, is, is very, very impressive. You know, I mean, obviously in a, in a, a league like the championship, it, it's a long season. You know, we've seen often teams that start very well can tail off and vice versa. So nothing is done yet. And I guess company, you know, will be really trying to make sure to instill in his players that there's no kind of feeling of complacency, particularly when, when people uh, praise them um, very much like this. Um, but I think that's a really fascinating um, aspect of, 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 of what's happened there because, you know, just how quickly, I mean, we, we've seen before how when you have managers that leave clubs, when they've had a real um, ingrained idea that's sort of been been part of the club for so long, that can be very difficult to, to shake off, to change. You know, it takes maybe two or three managerial appointments. It takes time. It takes a whole new squad of players for that to really to really bed in um, but what we've seen from from company in Burnley is that maybe it's possible to do it to do it quickly and, and I think that's uh, extremely impressive I think the one way you can also gauge the quality of the table uh, this is this might slightly detract from the jobs of, of these managers and teams but Reading Birmingham and Rotherham are all safely ensconced in mid-table and there are three clubs that everyone tipped to go down basically so that, you know while there is some good work going on there undoubtedly I still don't think that they are they are really clubs who should be in with a shout of reaching the playoffs. To be brutally honest, like Reading are one win, one win short of the playoffs. Um, and then they're all, you know, what happened to Huddersfield in the summer? It was obvious that they were gonna, they were gonna have a, mm. you know, um, 
they were going to fall away, but the extent to which they've done so has been pretty alarming. And West Brom are the other one as well, who um, are a bit of an anomaly. So it's always so hard to gauge the quality in the championship. And because there are some teams who surprise, and because there are some teams who surprise in a you know in a in a bad way as well, like West Brom have, it's very hard to say whether whether the the quality has been detracted from. But I think, as I say, the most important thing is you're still getting a lot of surprise results and a lot of a lot of drama every week, which is the most important thing. That's what makes it so. Such a fascinating division. Could be a really interesting year in terms of promotion into the Premier League. Um, I, I was going to say it looks wide open. Burnley, obviously, very, very difficult to beat at this point in time. But only two teams have a win percentage over 50% after 18 or 19 matches. And that's the top two, Burnley and Blackburn Rovers. And we'd love to see a title race between those two, wouldn't we? Uh, anyway, I'm sure we'll be talking more about the championship in weeks to come. Um it has been an intriguing league so far. The whole EFL, very interesting. Some fantastic uh, teams so far. Plymouth, Argyle, by the way. Check them out if you haven't. Uh, Sheffield Wednesday, only score worldies. Plenty going on in the EFL for us to discuss in coming weeks too. Uh, listen, thank you for being with me. Thank you to Ian Hawkey, Tom Allnut, Gregor Robertson, and to all of you uh, for listening, just reviewing uh, what we had going on in the Champions League and a little bit of EFL thrown into boot. On Monday, of course, we'll be reacting to some massive matches in the Premier League. Make sure you check out all of our great journalism before then in the Times. Download the Time app wherever you get your apps from. Also, you can subscribe to the game at thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game. We'll see you on Monday. Enjoy the weekend. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone.